I've been in the storm and the rain But the blood still stays the same No matter what's going wrong My war clothes are on I might be in a daze But you can't have my praise No matter the attack I won't turn back This means war This means war Hey This means war Tell the devil this. You can't have my family. You can't have my increase. You can't have my breakthrough. You can't have my, you can't have my, you can't, you can't, you can't have me. And as we share in the preaching of God's word, we pray that you will pray that God will bless us with insight as we share the word of God with you. Get your Bibles and join me, if you will, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. As we continue our journey through the writing of 1 John, we're going to take a little deep look at these three verses and discover what's the fruit to which John has to leave for us in these verses. First John chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, here's the word. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he 
has walked. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Those are the words of a commercial depicting a medical alert of someone whose medical condition has caused the fall from the stance of stability. Although that person is unable to rise by him or herself, all is not lost. Around their neck is a device linked to emergency help, whereby once pressed, sends a signal to that person who holds the power to dispatch help in the time of trouble, in a moment of emergency, professional assistance to help that person respond and to get up back on a walk of stability. That's what I see and hear in this short passage of John in verses 3 through 6. On the surface, the passage is both intimidating and condemning. It's con intimidating in verse 3 and 5 because it refers to my walk in God and it raises a number of questions. It's condemning because in verse 4 and 6, it suggests that if my walk is out of step with God, it gives a suggestion that I may not be in God. There is a wrestling in John's writing in these verses between obedience and disobedience. Anyone having that struggle now? I feel secured today, but insecured on yesterday because I missed the mark. That's not abnormal, not only for contemporary Christians, but even for those of the first century. For Paul calls this very feeling, this very struggle, and this very tug between obedience and disobedience, he calls it a conflict of our two natures, the old and the good, or the old and the new. In Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, this, I believe, is perhaps one of the most liberating passages in all of the New Testament because it helps me understand that when I have fallen... It's not that abnormal. And I don't have to feel as if I am being intimidated because I've fallen and I can't get back up. It also helps me understand that even though I've fallen, I don't have to feel condemned because in my falling, there is provision. There is my ability to be able to press in my spiritual nature, the button that provides assistance in the time of emergency that will come and help me get back up on my feet. It's okay to feel secured yesterday, but today you feel insecure because you know in your own spirit you've missed 
the mark. In other words, both John and Paul assures us that this life in the flesh is a life of struggle between the flesh and the spirit. There's a desire in us even after conversion to revert back to that which we have been delivered from. In fact, the temptation can become so overwhelming that we eventually do fall. And when I talk about being in a rut or being back in a habit, we fall and find ourselves struggling to try to get back up on the walk of life that leads to obedience. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14 because it's life changing. Because I'm convinced that if I'm speaking to someone this morning whose struggle is a habit in your life, is an attitude or a posture that you're not satisfied with, but you find it difficult to break as if there are chains on your life and you're not able to break free. And then there's the overwhelming condemnation to feel that you're certainly not saved because you are struggling with your walk in God. And you become intimidated by those who certainly will tell you that if you sin, that you are condemned unto eternal separation from God. And even worse, that's because they contend you have never been born again. Well, let me invite you to read all of the Bible, all 66 books for the most part, and you'll discover that when we look at characters in the scripture, they all have flaws. When you look at the life of the characters, they all have fallen into a condition from time to time. They have what we would call in contemporary language a struggle in their walk with God, but they never give up. They never turn around, and when they've fallen, they cry out for help that they might get it to get back up. Here's Paul's help to us in Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14, that helps us get back up when we've fallen short. Paul says, for we know... And I want to just take a moment to explain unto you the usage of that word know in the context of both Paul as well as in John. John uses it slightly different, but they both seem to come from the same Greek root. It's not the word gnosis or gnosticism from which we get gnosticism, gnosis, which means just mere knowledge, but it's the word Naskos, which means knowledge by experience in being in relation. That's a deeper word. And that's what Paul's referring to here in the text. For we know that the law is spiritual, which means that I've been given the law, I've been giving this, given this book of laws as a directive not only to lead me, but to measure my behavior by as well. But he says, but I am of the flesh sold into bondage to sin. In other words, in the spirit, I got it. But in my flesh, there's a fight. There's a struggle. And therein lies a word 
of revolution and revelation for you, a revelation that you're not the only one who has a spiritual struggle, revolution, because as Paul struggled, yet he continued to work at being transformed in the renewing of his mind and in the strengthening of his walk with God. For he says in verse 15, for that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Do you hear that? That's Paul saying to us that my life, something in my life, I'm not actually doing what I know I need to be doing to be glorifying unto God. It's a behavior issue that I'm having. And yet here Paul, along with John, is trying to remind us that it's okay. It's okay to recognize that your life has struggles. He says, and, John, and Paul is not the only one who says this, he says in verse 15, but if I do the very thing that I do not wish to do, I agree with the law confessing that it is good. In other words, when I know that what I'm doing, I can see it clearly in scripture and it helps me recognize I'm off the path. As we said last Sunday, I'm missing the mark. And Paul says, that's a good thing because that means that the Holy Spirit is working in my conscience to remind me that there's a conviction in my life when I know that I'm off course. He says in verse 17, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. I recognize that my heart's desire and my effort is to do the work of God, but somehow my flesh, me, moves in a different direction. In verse 18, he says, for I know, there's that word again, that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. In other words, Paul says, I've tried over and over and over again, and maybe you can identify with Paul. You've got that old habit that you just can't seem to break. And Paul says, I know how you feel. I've been in the same state. And here Paul says, I want to get it out of my life. I want to see that thing broken. But my flesh keeps gaining victory. Verse 19 again, for the good that I wish I do not do, but the practice, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish to do. Does that sound like a perfected Christian to you? Does that sound like someone who hasn't made a mistake? Does that sound like someone who's only failed one time? Does that sound like someone who does not have some habitual practice in their life that's disturbing? You're talking about the one man in the Bible who describes himself as not only the chief apostle, but the chief sinners of all. And Paul is trying to convey unto us, I know what it feels like to fall and can't get back up. And yet he says in verse 20, but if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul says, I know it because in me, in my natural being, is this proclivity to go off the path and to go against the word and will of God. Verse 21, I find then that the principle of 
the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. In other words, the law of God reminds me you need help to get up from where you have fallen. And that's what I came to tell somebody today. You need help. Don't try on your own to break that habit. It's a good chance you won't be able to do it and you need divine intervention. That's what Paul says here in this text. Verse 23, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the war against the law of my mind. So there's the other side of me that constantly tells me that I'm okay. That so what, I made a mistake. And here's what Paul's trying to get to. When that mistake or when that sin, when that missed the mark has occurred in my life, there should be a conviction that that's what I don't want to do because it's not glorifying unto God. So he says again in the final clause of verse 23, there's not only a waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. In other words, my old self wants me to be in bondage. Verse 24 is that classic text of Paul. O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? It's an old first century metaphor of a reality, though, that was practiced. It's a sentence. It's a penalty for violating a capital or for causing a capital offense. It is here where if one has been convicted of a capital crime, a dead body was attached to their back and they would have to walk around the city for the rest of their days with that dead body attached and as it decomposes, its decomposition seeps into the bloodstream through the pores of that body and that person eventually dies. That is how Paul is trying to describe what happens if we don't fight to get a hold of the sin factor in our life. And so Paul's cry is the same as that cry of the medical alert. Help, I've fallen and can't get up. It's the same thing that Paul says, oh wretched man that I am, let's just contemporize what he said, who will help me get up from this space of death? And then Paul provides the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, I know I'm wrestling with the law of sin. I took you to that passage in Paul because if you think about that, I'll stretch it over to 1 John chapter 2. Because John now tells us in this text that life, just as Paul was trying to tell us, is not simply black or white. It's not either or. It's not a neat package of either this way or that way. In fact, John argues in verse 1, 2, and 3 that the work of Jesus is not something merely done in the past and should never be relegated there by the Christian, but instead 
It's a continual means of maintaining and restoration, reclaiming and putting us back in fellowship with God, both during the fall and after the fall. That's why he says in verse 1 and 2 that if we sin, we've got an emergency switch to press. He's an advocate and he'll come on our behalf. Notice John uses two phrases. He says in verse in chapter 1, verse 6, and verse 8 through 10, he says, if we say, which provides a reoccurring theme in the rest of that first chapter, and then he says in chapter 2, verse 4 and 6, the one who says, which provokes reflection in us. It's a reflection that says, if I say that I'm in love with God, then I have to make sure I work at my life reflecting that love. So listen to what he tells us in verse 3. Because verse 3 is in the present tense. This we know, says John. In other words, this walk that I'm dealing with that comes under the direction of the word of God and yet, it's my walk that substantiates my witness for God. But there are times when my witness seems to suffer from my weakness in God. And yet, John tells us in these three verses that there has to be a willingness in us. In knowing him, says John, in that present tense, we have come to know him. That's a personal relationship, says God. John says that you know that you've got a personal relationship with him because your heart stands under deep conviction when you struggle. We call it a guilty conscience when you struggle with that issue. And John says here that we know that we know him that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Man, that's a tight, that's a tough saying. It's not as simple as we have tried to make it out as theologians, as scholars. It's not that simple. Because in knowing the word, and yet I violate the word, there's a conviction in me. Yet I still hold to that I know him. And John says to us in this word, Gnoskis, this verb to know, it's a Johannine term that John uses throughout his passages in both the letter and in the gospel because one of his focus is to highlight how the believer needs to know Christ in a very personal way. John says, if you know him, it's a working relationship. Here's what John says. When I know him, I'm using the term to advocate that one, I told you before, it's a personal relationship and to know him is work. In other words, John is really trying to tell us in a very indirect way, knowing God is work, reading the word is work, being obedient is work. And there's room in there. Thanks be unto God, there's room for failure. 
because God knows that I'm not going to get it right, that you're not going to get it right every single day. So John says in verse 3 that there's a personal relationship in knowing him is work. Watch this. In verse 4 and 5, it's a praying relationship. Listen to what he says. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Listen to the conviction there. Listen to the condemnation. Reading it on the surface, one might believe that if I know him and I make one mistake, it really means I don't know him. And that is not what John is advocating. You can't find that substantiated theologically in the Bible at all. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm going to make mistakes. That's why this is a praying relationship. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, we have to pray without ceasing. That's why Jesus tells us in Luke 18, 1, men should always pray and never stop. Why? Because in trying to live right for God and in that struggle in my life between the flesh and the spirit, I need prayer to give me inspiration, to give me power when I fall short, when I fall down and I can't get back up, I need some prayer. And might I suggest that you and I this morning are living, walking testimonies that we've fallen down many a times and couldn't get back up had it not been for prayer and the grace and mercy of God that was dispatched unto us. John says in verse 5, and that thing in verse 4 is, is, is it's sort of crunching to us. If I know him and don't keep his commandment, I'm a liar and the truth is not in us. Some scholars suggest that John is not really talking about any particular person who made a mistake or who sinned. He's really just trying to say what he says in verse 1, if you sin, which means that John already know you're going to fall short. But maybe John is trying to paint the picture to to sort of force a sense of intimidation and fear. Don't do it. That's why he said, if you don't keep the word, you're a liar, not telling the truth. Some scholars also say that this is for somebody who habitually continues to con in the walk of sin over and over and over again. I find that difficult to believe as well. So I'm convinced that John is advocating not only a personal relationship but a praying relationship because in that prayer time in which God is working in your life in the midst of helping you get back up to your feet, you're breaking the ties. You're reducing that challenge. But He says in verse 5, whoever keeps his word and in him the love of God has truly been perfected by this we know that we are in him is John suggesting that I'm only in God if I'm doing right that when I do wrong God loves me no longer or God cuts me off I dare not say so 
Instead, I think you can't have verse 5 without verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. In other words, John says, no, I'm just trying to say I encourage you to walk as the Lord walked. A personal relationship, a praying relationship, and then a pressing relationship. Because some of our best spiritual maturity is acquired when we have fallen and we are most vulnerable to the direction of God and God begins to press us into the mold and shape he would have us to be. Now, I hope you take this in a, in a good way and I have a hesitancy in saying it, but as I close, let me say it this way. When we fall short and miss the mark, it's not the end of the world. In fact, it's that moment when we can cry out to God, not only have I fallen and I can't get back up, but please send me some help. It doesn't have to go far because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us. And so my question this morning is, as I close, what's the takeaway that John is telling us in this text? Three things. One, it's okay that you and I are not perfect. God already knows it. And by now, you probably know you're not perfect as well. It's okay because I am an individual who's working out my soul's salvation. And even in the midst of my failure, God has been so gracious to each of us where we've still been blessed in a mighty way. There's a second thing. It's not only okay that I'm not perfect, but it's okay that I got problems. In other words, the Bible makes clear that we all have our own proclivities, we all have our own issues, we all have our own trials, we all have our own quirks. It's okay because you are a particular individual, very peculiar. And there are some things that we are stronger at than others and we are weaker at than others. And in many realms of Christendom, you're made to feel guilty that you have problems, that you have struggles, that you have difficulties. Whatever you do, don't leave Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Because that would help you recognize your problems, your struggles, along with your works is not the qualifier for you to get into heaven. Here's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace were you saved through faith and that not of yourself, nothing you did to earn it. It is the gift of God lest any man should boast. So my salvation is God's gift to me. And God doesn't give gifts and take them back. So it's okay that I'm not perfect, and it's okay that I got problems. And here's the final one. It's okay that I'm a working progress.
says, John, it's okay because as I continue to work at being in obedient to God, I'm trying to walk in the same manner as I witnessed the Lord Jesus Christ in the text. And you once again already know that's not an easy task. It doesn't happen always. Thanks be to God, every single day, we are working progresses because God never gives up on us. And even when we cry out, help, I've fallen and I can't get back up. That's the title of this sermon. That's where God dispatches the power to bring us up to the newness of life because we are working progresses every single day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, my prayer this morning is that someone would leave this space of preaching realizing that because they fall short that they're not alone realizing because they haven't lived up to your expectations as they so desired it's not the end of the world and realize God that they may have a repetitive presence of a sinful behavior that's disturbing to them and yet at the same time you will never disown them and so, God, I pray today that someone reaches out to you for the strength to get up from their fallen state. Whether they are an unbeliever who's never accepted Christ as Savior, this is the day that their life will begin on a new plane. Or if they're a believer who has fallen in their journey, and yet they cry out that they may get back up. Do these things for us, Lord. We'll forever give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody with us today, we pray that if you're observing this worship experience, that if you don't know Christ, here's a good chance to make a decision for him today. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Salvation is that free. It's a free gift that God has provided. And God wants you to be born again that your life can walk under the anointing of his divine word. I hope you've made that choice today. Those of you who have already made that choice, may you rejoice that you have a loving, caring, and forgiving God who, while we are in progress, working progress, we are still recipients of not only his grace and mercy, but his forgiveness as well. We thank each of you for being so kind in your financial support and we encourage you to continue to do so as you support this ministry, whether it be by text, your phone, or by e-giving by way of the church website or by way of mailing your contribution to the church. We accept all. We greatly appreciate it. We encourage you to continue to remain in prayer, support our ministry that we will continue to grow and do the things that we can do during this pandemic moment. We've been blessed to be with you today. I pray that this word has blessed your spirit. Until we meet again, Zion, keep your head high. Keep your hand in his hand. And remember the best is always yet to come. In Jesus' name.